And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah uh, begot Shealtiel. And I'm just going to go through it for the sake of time here. But when he gets down to verse 16, it says, And Jacob, or Jacob, not Jacob, the, the, the patriarch of the twelve tribes, different Jacob, that name was very popular. This was, Jake, this was Joseph's father's name, that Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ, or Christos, or the Messiah. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Matthew's documentation of the genealogy establishes Jesus' claim to the throne of David through his adoptive father, Joseph. This is not a blood lineage of Jesus through Mary, but the legal lineage of Jesus through Joseph. The Gospel of Luke provides Jesus' blood lineage through Mary. The Jews always relied on genealogies, and to Jewish Christians, the Messiahship of Jesus depended on its ability to prove that he was the descendant of David. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching already in progress. Over all of the earth, Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Does that sound, does that sound apocalyptic to you? Does that sound like the second coming of Christ? Yeah, it does. And for good reason. And his clothes in the blood of grapes and his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. Describing the Savior who would come back to save his people. So already in Genesis... Already in Genesis, we understand that there's something special, something significant about this line of Judah that's symbolized as the lion. There's something specific. There's a specific thing about the kings and even a specific king that will come from this line. And yes, it certainly is David. And I'm the spoiler alert, it's also referring to Jesus. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm going to read something to you, but I want you to see it yourself. This is a chapter that we've been going through. We just finished 2 Samuel on Thursday night, so we're in 1 Kings. I would encourage you, by the way, as a, a, an encouragement to join us on Thursday nights. We're going through the Old Testament, and I'm having a ball. And I hope that those of you who are coming are as well, because I'm learning so much about uh, the history of Israel and God's plan of redemption all throughout the Old Testament. It's the same. And so come out on Thursday nights and join us as we get through this. It's wonderful. But notice in chapter, uh, in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 7, David is being spoken to through the prophet Nathan by God himself. And this is what, what happens. It says, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling, speaking of David, that the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies all around. And then the king said to Nathan, See, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. And then Nathan said to the king, well, go, 
Do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build a house for me to dwell in, David? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. And wherever have I moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus shall you say to David, my servant, thus says the Lord God, I took you from the sheepfold and from the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all of your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them and they will, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. And nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. For since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all of your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. And this is what we call the Davidic covenant. This is the covenant that God made with David. Very important one, especially as we're getting into Matthew here because we're, we're tracing this through. About the whole, this whole idea of Jesus being the, the rightful heir to the, to the king, to, to, the, to, the, to the throne of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Because that's what Matthew is going to be establishing all throughout this gospel. Notice what he says. When your days are fulfilled, David, God says to him, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. Now, who is he talking about? Well, immediately he's talking about Solomon, isn't he? But he's also talking about one greater than Solomon that would come on the earth and be born into the Virgin Mary several hundreds of years after Jesus, the seed of the woman. It goes back to Genesis 3.15. So notice... He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish of the throne of his kingdom what forever. So this can't be speaking now of Solomon, because this kingdom, Solomon only lasted for uh, about 69 years on this planet and ruled 40 of them. And so he's speaking of a kingdom that's going to last forever. And notice what he says, I will be his father and he shall be my son if he commits iniquity. Now this he's talking about Solomon. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the son of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, when I, whom I removed before you. But notice verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Yes, David of the line of Judah, he's saying to David, Your house and your kingdom shall be established for you forever before you. And he continues, Your throne shall be established forever. He repeats it again to make sure that the point is made. See, the house that God was going to build for David was a succession of kings from Judah that would ultimately culminate in Jesus coming in his second coming upon the earth, which is yet future to us, and he would finally sit on the throne of David. Because you remember, the line of kings didn't last very long. It started with David, and it ended with Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the very last king 
when Nebuchadnezzar had come in 586 BC and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and he took Zedekiah captive. And not only that, but he, he, he killed all of Zedekiah's sons. And then when he killed his sons, right before his eyes, he gouged his eyes out. So the last thing he saw was him, Nebuchadnezzar, murdering his sons. Sounds like a really nice guy. He takes his eyes out, puts him in prison, sends him to Babylon, and he dies in a prison cell in Babylon. And so the kingly line of Judah was cut for a season. (laughs) But it's going to resume when Jesus comes. And so far there has not been a Judah, a king from Judah, sitting on the throne in Jerusalem since 586 B.C. So here we are, 2,500 plus years later, and still no king on the throne of Judah. No king of Judah on the throne of David. But soon, the Bible tells us that he will come. And when Jesus returns to the earth, he will be the rightful king. And so we see this importance because Jesus was from the line of David too. And in fact, that's why this genealogy that we're starting off with is so important because it establishes that fact, that lineage, and it makes it very clear in two different ways in the Bible it tells us this. And even after David and Solomon's reign, the prophets of the Old Testament continued to prophesy of this dynasty of Judah. In Isaiah chapter 11, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall shoot out of his roots, because the kingship had been severed with Zedekiah. And and Isaiah is prophesying that that's going to happen. And oh, by the way, don't worry, because there's going to be a green shoot coming out of that stump of Jesse, out of of the line of David. There's going to be a green splint that's going to come up. And who is that? A branch, a netzer, is what the Hebrew calls it. That's going to be Jesus. He's going to come up from that. Yes, the kingdom is going to be severed for a season. Zedekiah was the last one, but now we look forward to when Jesus comes physically to the earth and he will fulfill this prophecy. And I love what it says. It says, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And it even goes even further. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the sevenfold nature of the spirit of God, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And, and Isaiah goes on in verse 6 and even talks about the conditions of the time when Jesus, the king of Israel, the king of, the, of Judah, when he comes into his millennial reign, it even gives us the temperature, the climate, if you will, of what those days are going to look at. Look at verse 6 with me, and let me read it to you. The wolf also, the wolf, a predator, will lie down with the lamb. They are natural enemies, but in the millennial kingdom, they're going to lie down together. Miracle of miracles, cats and dogs living together. Amazing. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. A little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall graze. The cow and the bear shall graze? That's interesting. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play on the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord." As the waters cover the sea. And notice what it says in verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Who is that root? It's Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah. 
who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Love it. All the world will come before him. Yes, every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. Believer and unbeliever. God would rather us come to him as believers and bow our knee to him. And we bow our knee to him now, don't we? Because he's the great king. He loves us. He saved my soul. What more could I do, Lord? What can I give you? Can I, what more could I give you? That should be the question of my heart. Take all of me, right? But even in Micah, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you be little among the thousands of what? Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, capital O, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Even in Revelation, we saw the Apostle John speaking, and he says, as I wept much, and there was no one found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Again, going all the way back to Isaiah 11 that we just read. All of these things to prove and to show that it's through the line of Judah, as Jacob said in Genesis 49.10, that he would be, The scepter would not depart. It would come through ultimately David and then from David through his lineage all the way down to Jesus Christ. And we will be getting into this shortly here, this this, uh, genealogy, because that's exactly what it points to. It proves it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Again, you can be encouraged that you can follow the Lord in that way. You can read his word that way. Read it and know it. And share it, because people think this is just some kind of myth that's been handed down over generations and have, has been, um, you know, over time it's been, you know, smithed and, and reworked and people have, you know, interjected things in it and stuff like that. that. That is not the truth. Universities will tell you that. Oh, it's just a bunch of myths from Jewish people. It's just a bunch of myths, and it's all been oral tradition. It's been passed down, and it's so corrupt. Ha, you don't know anything. See, these guys need to go to school and learn the truth because this has been around a lot longer than them and a lot longer before even the United States was even anything. So who are you going to trust? I don't have a problem with education, but when an educator is, is willingly ignorant, he's got a problem. And he needs to go back to his first roots again. (laughs) He needs to go examine the truth. So Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. He shall reign over all. Romans 15 tells us that. There shall be a root of Jesse, and and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and in him the Gentiles shall hope. Yes, not only just over the Jews is he a Savior, but he's a Savior to the world. Isn't that what Luke tells us? Do you remember what happened? And again, just because there's some who say, well, Jesus was just the the king of Judah over the Jewish people, and it's just for the Jewish people. That's not true at all. The Bible says something different. In Luke chapter 2, it says this. They were in the same country, shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were very afraid. And then the angel said to them, notice this. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to just the Jewish people. 
No, this is what it says. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. All, not just the Jews. Gentiles and everything else. So this is why the gospel, this gospel, is so significant because it lays out for us the life and the ministry, which it does, but it proves to us that Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah, the heir to the throne of David, the Savior of the world, and this was by no mistake. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. This was a masterful plan. Now let's look at it. So as we look at chapter or verse 1 of chapter 1, it tells us this genealogy from Abraham to Jesus, a total of 42 generations. And we're going to go through this step by step. But one of the things uh, that we're going to see is that the genealogy is going to trace Jesus' royal legal line through Joseph. Through Joseph, because uh, Joseph was, was Joseph Jesus' biological father? He wasn't. But was he his caretaker? Yes. But was he also born of the Virgin Mary? Was Mary from the tribe of Judah? You better believe she was. And so now, again, this proof is so undeniable, unmistakable. So now he's going to take us through Joseph's line just to prove to us, hey, that even if we look at Joseph, who was, he had nothing to do with the birth of Christ, right? He didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> We're going to find, well, actually, let me just, let's just look at this. In Matthew chapter 1, that, that's what it tells us. It's from, it's down, it's from uh, Abraham down to Joseph and ultimately to Jesus. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah uh, begot Shealtiel. And I'm just going to go through it for the sake of time here. But when he gets down to verse 16, it says, And Jacob, or Jacob, not Jacob, the, the, the patriarch of the twelve tribes, different Jacob, that name was very popular. This was, Jake, this was Joseph's father's name, that Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ, or Christos, or the Messiah. That's what this genealogy purports to show. And we'll also see, and we don't have time to, to spend any great detail on this, but there's also another genealogy. You might want to write it in the margin of chapter one or verse 1 here. Um, it's in Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 23 through 38. And basically, it's another genealogy, but this one's interesting because it traces Jesus' line from, um, from Jesus going back to Adam, the first man. But it does so in a very different way. It takes on Mary's side of the family. Turn with me, just really quick. We, we have to look at this. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 23, and that's all we really need to look at. Luke chapter 3, verse 23. I just want you to underline something to show you that this is what it is. There's a lot of twists and gyrations in this genealogy, and there's reasons for that, but we're not going to get through that. I just want to show you one thing. Notice, we know that the Matthew genealogy takes us through Joseph's line, but now we look at Luke chapter 3, and look at verse 23. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, or Heli. Didn't we just read in Matthew that his dad was Jacob or Jacob? So who is this Heli? Well, it's Mary's father. 
This is Joseph's father-in-law. Because Mary, remember, had many sisters. Some of them were with her at the, tomb, or at, you know, at, the, at the crucifixion. So Mary had other sisters, and evidently this man, Heli, didn't have a son. So now we look at Joseph as being his only son-in-law. And so to prove that, yes, not only through Joseph, but also through Mary, and when you see the word Heli, from verse 23 through 27, it speaks of his line, and then ultimately it catches up in, what, verse uh, 28? It picks up with Zerubbabel, and then it goes on, and it continues what Matthew told us in his. So now we take a slight little turn in the, in the, in the uh, genealogy to prove that whether it's through Mary, through Joseph, it doesn't matter. Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of David the king of Judah. Could it get any more explicit? Could it get any more proof-laden than this? And the more you study it, the more exciting it gets. There's a lot of twists and turns in Luke's uh, genealogy, but we'll go on here. So notice, so um, if we look at the outline of this, of this genealogy, it's laid out pretty simply, and verse 17 gives us the um, outline. It tells us, so all the generations, uh, go back to, I'm sorry, back to Matthew chapter 1, if you would. But verse 17 gives us the outline of what has just been spoken of in the first 16 verses. Notice, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon, 14 generations. From the captivity of Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. And we're going to read each one of those. We're going to read each one of those. And so we can see that verse 2 through 6, Abraham through David, and, and so on. And what I find really interesting as we go along, I have to mention this because to me this is just one of the sweet things about the Lord, is as we go through this genealogy, we're going to see five different women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. Normally genealogies don't have women in them. The line goes from a father to a son. The name gets carried on through the son. But here in this genealogy, specifically in Matthew, the Holy Spirit sees fit to include these five women. And I find it very interesting because these women are, some of them have, uh, not all of them, but a few of them have questionable backgrounds. One is uh, uh, played the harlot. Another one uh, was a Gentile prostitute. Uh, one of them was, another one was a Gentile. Another one was one who committed adultery with David. And then finally, the only one who seems to be pretty spotless is Mary. If I were God, I would not have put them in there. Because I would want to present myself as who I really am. I'd want to make sure that people saw that I'm really, I'm really a good God. And you can trust me because I've got a spotless, everything I do is spotless. That is true of God. But isn't it wonderful that he uses people? He uses imperfect people. And I like that because I qualify. I'm an imperfect person. And I hate to bust your bubble, but you're not perfect either. Right? Is that true? I have to come to that realization before I need a healer, before I need a savior. I need to know that I need to be saved. And I need to be saved, so save me, God. Throw me the life preserver. I'm drowning. That's the end of our lesson for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the Gospel of Matthew. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.